I want to talk to you on something that I really believe God started to put on my heart during the early morning prayer meetings. For those of you who would like to join us, uh, if you're not working, uh, at 9 o'clock a.m. Monday to Friday, we have prayer meeting here in the church. We pray. We start at 9. Sometimes we end at 10. Sometimes quarter past 10. Sometimes 10.30. It depends on... Well, it depends on whether or not we, uh, we just get really excited sometimes. What else can I tell you? And then Saturday mornings as well. We meet here at 9 a.m. and we have a time of prayer. Um, we've been doing this now for over 18 months. And it is powerful. When I say it's powerful, do I mean that each prayer meeting is explosive? No, what I mean is what's happening as a result of the prayer meetings is powerful. And it's explosive. And it's affecting people's lives. And so often we think in terms of our relationship with God in relationship to what God can do for us. But you know, He's already done so much for me. I try to live my life in, in the definition of what can I do for Him and for His kingdom. How many of you think that sounds like a God kind of attitude to have, right? Yeah. And uh, so I encourage you, come on out to prayer. Uh, we have prayer meetings for the ladies' groups on Tuesday night run by Pastor Jan. And we also have prayer meeting before church on a Sunday morning. I, I, th I think it would be awesome. You know, <laughs> I would love to make it mandatory that before we even have church, everyone's got to be in the prayer meeting before church. See how quiet that went? And that is not an audio-technical problem up the back. I didn't say it is mandatory. But I did say that I put a huge emphasis on what prayer does. Not because prayer is a magic by itself. No, not at all. Just like faith isn't a magic by itself. It's faith in the words of God that is powerful. And it's prayer in the name of Jesus Christ that's powerful. Because prayer shows our humble dependence and reliance on God. And it's a confession that we know where our source originates from. It comes from Him. We could have church without prayer, but that's like having church without God. When we pray, we are making a declaration first to ourselves and then to the kingdom of darkness and then to the kingdom of heaven. When we pray, the declaration we're making is, Father, it's not by might. It's not by our strength, but it's by your spirit. And we're relying on your spirit. So I encourage everyone, as much as possible, be committed to a life of prayer. And if you can, join us in any of the many prayer meetings that happen around here all through the week. Now, can I at least get an, a, a, an agreement on that? Amen. All right. Awesome. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of trajectory. Trajectory. And uh, traje <laughs> trajectory, uh, and by... The series is called Trajectory, Where Are You Really Heading? So 
Matt, I know you and I didn't get a chance to converse, but you are so on the ball up the back. Uh, I'm sure you probably have some of these definitions ready to go. See, that's the power of a really good audiovisual team. Come on, give Matt a big hand. I'm going to take a second just to give you a little bit of an insight of how crazy and hectic things are around here. Friday, Matt and I, together with a, quite a number of other volunteers, were outside. I had people all over the place doing stuff, uh, maintenance. And Matt and I and Carlos were pressure washing all the sidewalks and the steps. I was up the ladder cleaning the awning where it says grace and faith over the front doors. Earlier this week, we had the doors repainted. No sooner we finished that, other people were on their knees scrubbing the bathroom floors. Where's Jackie? Where's Jackie? Are you? Here's Jackie. Jackie and her husband, Steve, came and volunteered. And Jackie, Carl gave Jackie a mop and said, would you mind mopping the floors in the bathroom? And she said, uh, yeah, no, I don't mop. She said, I get on my knees with a scrub brush and do it. Yeah. That's the attitude. You know, I love when I see things like that. What an attitude. I love that. And her and Steve and B. B is new to the church. And here he was on, on Friday volunteering, helping mow the lawn and do some uh, irrigation work and stuff. That was Friday. And so I was soaking wet, filthy. And Friday night I was supposed to host uh, just as an act of charity, our church, we, we decided to help promote the movie, The Favorite, which is a Christian movie locally made here. And I was supposed to hope it, host it. We were putting on a free dinner for about 10 pastors. Uh, I had to leave because then I got the news that instead of my granddaughter coming Thursday next week, she decided she wanted to be here early for the show. And... Uh, <laughs> So immediately, my team said, you go, we'll run this tonight. And I left 10 visiting pastors that were coming later that night in the hands of a very, very capable and much appreciated staff. Uh, I went to be with my family. Yeah, they're good people. I went to be with my family, and Stephen stayed the night at the hospital with his wife and his new little baby girl while we looked after uh, their other two children, and then first thing, 8 a.m., I was here getting ready for the prayer meeting. We had prayer meeting from 9 to about 10.30, uh, met with a couple of people, talked with a few people, and by 3 o'clock, I was traveling an hour north to attend Mandy Pollard's wedding. She is now Mandy Hicks, and uh, Mandy works in our nursery. She's one of our young people, grew up in this church, Got home about uh, 10 o'clock at night, and 6 a.m. this morning, I got up to finally prepare the Word of God for today. We work very hard. We're not slackers. And we really mean it when we say we appreciate when people volunteer and help us. Uh, I am not the kind of leader that sits back and lets everyone else do it. I believe in servant leadership, 
And so we are hands-on. And if you saw me Friday during the day, you would have thought that I was one of the janitors. I had mud on my face, dirt in my hair. My clothes were soaking wet. But you know what? That's okay. This is what we do to build the kingdom of God. Amen? I have a motto. Nothing is above us. Nothing's too great for us to strive to achieve. Nothing is above us and nothing is beneath us. Amen. Amen. I believe that's a kingdom attitude. And so with that, trajectory. Thank you, Matt. Trajectory is the path taken by an object. Let's go to the next slide. An object can be a projectile traveling through space or it could be a person's life traveling through time. Let's go to the next one. A trajectory is... Do we have it? There we go. A trajectory is determined with a starting point and a precise destination in mind. Next, for an object to reach its final destination, one must calculate the trajectory by taking into consideration all the possible opposing resistances that that subject will encounter along its path. So a subject, an object, a subject or an object can be you traveling through space and time, your life. It could be a football thrown in the air, it could be a rocket launched into outer space. To calculate the trajectory, you have to calculate all the resistances that it will face, be it gravitational pull, or if it's your life, the resistance of the kingdom of darkness. It might be the resistance of friends and family who think you're crazy, who think that this following Jesus is going to lead you nowhere. Uh, there are resistances. And for you to stay the path, your trajectory, to get from A to your final destination, you need to calculate all the things that could be opposing resistances. Uh, the final paragraph, Matt, these calculations are determined so that the necessary preparations can be made both for the accurate launch and the adherence of the object's path so that it will reach its final destination. Now, to make all of that make sense in a practical way, I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations. Why is trajectory so important? If you were off just by one degree, everybody say one degree. How big is one degree? It's, it's very, very little. If I were to make the space of one degree between my two fingers, uh, it's a very small distance. But consider this. If you were going somewhere and you were off course by one degree after one foot, 12 inches, you'd miss your target by 0.2 of an inch. Doesn't sound like much. Pretty harmless. Not going to upset the apple cart. After 100 yards, you'll be off by 5.2 feet. 
not huge, but if you're building a house like that, you're going to have some serious gaps in your walls. After one mile, you'll be off by 92.2 feet. So one degree is starting to make a bit of a difference. But let's look at it this way. If you were to start in Washington, D.C., and you were going to go around the globe and land back in Washington, D.C., you would miss the mark by 435 miles, and you would end up in another city, probably Boston. If you were going to the moon, you'd be 4,169 miles off course, which is nearly twice the diameter of the moon. You would miss the moon by two moons. If you were traveling to the nearest star in our universe, you'd be off course by over 441 billion miles. And if that doesn't make a lot of sense, let's put that into another picture that maybe we could conceptualize. That's the equivalent of the distance from the earth to the sun times 4,745 trips. That's pretty amazing. Trajectory. It determines the path of where you're going to go. It's determined first by where you're starting and what your final destination is supposed to be. And even one degree could make a heck of a difference. If, <laughs> I'm going to say it, if our, traject if our final destination is heaven and we're off, even one degree. We could end up in a hell of a place. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus made a statement. I'm going to be very honest with you because I don't know how to be anything but really honest. I don't believe I need to make apologies for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has the power to save us from drunkenness. It has the power to save us from a warped, broken childhood. It has the power to save us from wounds and bruises and images stamped into us from uh, our, our, our earlier years. It has the power to save us from any kind of addiction. It has the power to save us from rejection, inferiority, fear. It has the power to save us from absolutely anything because anything that can be named is a name that was given that must be subject to the name of Jesus Christ. And so in Matthew chapter 6, I took probably the very last verse of a point that Jesus was making, and he's talking about wealth, he's talking about prosperity. And I believe, read the passage, read the verses before this, Jesus is making a clear point and a clear case for the fact that he wants us to prosper. He wants us to be blessed. He said, look at, uh, look at the lilies of the field. They are clothed in more spectacular clothing and arraignment than even Solomon in the finest of weaves. He says, and I clothed the lily. 
He said, look at the sparrows of the air. They don't fall to the ground starving. I make sure that they're fed. And the whole passage is about prosperity and getting prosperity into focus. God wants to bless us. And God wants to look after us. And God wants to clothe us. And and we can have confidence for God to do that because He'll clothe the lilies of the ground which are here today and gone tomorrow. A very short lifespan compared to the lifespan of a human being. And if God would clothe the lilies of the field or the gardens of the world, how much more God wants to look after the garden of humanity? Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. And so this verse comes out of a passage where Jesus is talking about our everyday needs and he's highlighting the fact that our everyday needs are super important to God and we can trust God with everything we need. And then he comes to the punchline. And he says, therefore, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. You know how we talk about we're the product of our environment, the product of our childhood, the product of the words spoken over us, the product of whether we were molested as children by a man, a woman, whatever. We're the product of being rejected, abandoned, hated. We can also be the product of good examples. And I love the fact my father, who's not here anymore, my mother, <clears throat> who's 95, it's very hard to have a conversation with her. But I love the fact that I have vivid memories of a close-knit Italian family of uncles and aunts and cousins meeting regularly at Grandma and Grandpa's summer home out on the island of Long Island and family being the most important thing to us. And I vividly remember as a nine-year, nine-year-old when my mother and father said, we're going <clears> to <throat> leave the United States of America because God's called us to go to Australia and be missionaries to Italian immigrants, people we don't know. I remember as a nine-year-old <clears throat> asking my parents, Where are we going to sleep? And their reassurance to me was this. We don't know. That's as much as they knew. Why? You think if they knew, they would want to hold that reassurance back from their little boy? I remember watching my mother weep many times. And sharing her testimony as my parents visited church after church in America as they were doing their itinerary to garner support for this missionary venture. And hearing my mother, often through tears, talk about how she would reason with God and even argue with God and say, if I bring my kids there, What guarantee do I have of their education 
and of their future. And I remember mom telling the story how in that conversation with God, God challenged her back and said, and if you keep them here in America, what guarantee do you have of their lives? You see, if we're going to enter the unknown, I'd rather enter the unknown in his hands than enter the unknown against his will. And so I was impacted in my youth knowing how close the family we were and how this was so important. And I had a mother and a father that found something way more important than all of that. I remember growing up in Australia many times. I slept on a bed that was so broken, the springs popped through the mattress, literally. And I would often have band-aids on my legs from the attack of the springs the night before. It's the stuff of nightmares for little kids. But I would wake up often in the middle of the night crying deeply as a little boy missing my family in America. And you would think that has to leave scars. No, what it did was it left a deep impression that this Jesus Christ must be worth everything for my family to have made that decision. We had so little that I remember one birthday that I celebrated here in the States, I had gotten a, a, a bike, a black bike with the raised handlebars, had the big banana seat. You see, those of you that are smiling really wide, you just dated yourself. And uh, <clears throat> the homes in Australia back then were made of solid bricks. And so in the summertime, they were like ovens at night. You slept with all the windows and doors opened or you put your pillow on the lawn and actually slept outside. In the wintertime, the houses were like freezers because once the bricks got cold, it just radiated cold. And I remember my parents asking me if I would be willing for one of my uncles to sell my bicycle so that the family could have electric blankets so that we'd be warm at night. I didn't think that was a fair exchange. <laughs> but because my parents thought it was a good idea, I finally agreed. I remember these things. I remember going to school with not only holes on the bottom of my shoes and packing my shoes with newspapers so I wouldn't have to tell my parents that I needed new shoes. And... Uh, as much as I tried to hide it, eventually I had shoe holes on the t points of my shoes and on the tops of my shoes, and that's when I would get new shoes. And I stand here today not with resentment or bitterness. Just like I was on that ladder Friday with a scrub brush in my hand washing mold off of the letters that say church because it's an honor to live for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. 
trajectory. Where are you heading? One degree can make a hell of a difference. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, all these comfort creatures that we want, or creature comforts, I should say. You know what? Sometimes comfort can become a creature. (laughs) But all these creature comforts that uh, we want, Jesus actually challenges us about them. See, we don't like preaching that here in the United States of America because this is a country that's built on convenience. Our modern civilization, we're probably the nation with the greatest degree of comforts. We have a lot of conveniences. And anything that's inconvenience, immediately we become disloyal to. Do you know what the number one rule to building a successful uh, um, shopping center is? The number one rule that engineers and uh, city planners all adhere to, convenience. They added food malls to the shopping centers to make it convenient so that shoppers would be there longer. And then they added uh, uh, movie theaters so that you had somewhere to put your kids so that people would stay there longer. And they made sure that shopping centers were built in, a, in the center of a massive parking lot so that there was ease to get there. And uh, everything we have is about convenience. And we live in a world of convenience. And the God of convenience serves a greater God, and that is the God of self. Think about it. I might get an amen or two. Just think about it a little bit longer. The God of convenience serves the God of self. Jesus said, seek first the God of all gods. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What Jesus was saying is God's stuff is worth living for, and God's stuff is more important than our stuff. And what, when you read that in context, it actually goes on and it says, and if you live for God's stuff, God will take care of your stuff. I believe that with all my heart. And you know what? Even if my stuff never got taken care of, God's stuff is more important for me to live for. You see, I reason in my heart that if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me in the state that I was in, and if he died for me even how I can be from time to time now, if God was willing to die for me, then there's nothing too great for me to do for him. Seek first the kingdom of God. You see, (laughs) what's happened is the church preaches the gospel of salvation. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of salvation centers on us and what God can do for us. 
The gospel of the kingdom of God centers on God and what God can do for us and what God can do through us for the benefit of the kingdom and reaching the world for God and his kingdom. Amen. Amen. The gospel of salvation prepares us to exit this world. We preach the gospel of salvation. You must be born again. And we get exit insurance so that when we leave this place, we're not going to go to hell. We're going to go to heaven. The gospel of salvation will tell us about all the things that God is to us and God is for us. And the gospel of salvation really puts while the cross is at the center, the cross is at the center to benefit us. And I thank God that God lived His life for us. I thank God that He who knew no sin became sin so that He could save this sinner and every sinner in this universe. I love the fact that my God considered not His own life, but He considered our lives, that we desperately needed Him. I love the fact that God was about us. But He was setting the example of how to live the best life. And the best life lived is not the life lived for us but the best life lived is the life living for the king and for his kingdom amen and so the gospel of salvation which is so often preached in the church in america and unfortunately it's it's spreading around the world it's a gospel that has to do about our comforts and our commodities and how God can better us in this life. And there's no question, there's no doubting, there's no disputing. Absolutely, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, your life will be better. He will enrich you. He will improve you. He will take you from poverty to a place of better standing without a question. Without a question, we know what God can do for us. But without a question, the gospel of the kingdom puts everything back in a perspective. Jesus didn't walk the streets preaching the gospel of how to get saved. Everything he preached in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was about the kingdom of heaven was about the fact that the kingdom of heaven was coming to earth. was about the fact that God wanted to establish his government on the earth so that he could set the captives free and so that the lost could be redeemed. And there are many benefits to the gospel of the kingdom of God. In fact, the gospel of salvation is just one little portion of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of salvation is how to get inside the gates. We've been preaching and taught people how to get inside the gates, but then the church has spent the entirety of its existence hanging on to the gates of salvation, waiting for our upward call to eternity. The gospel of salvation will prepare you to exit the world, but the gospel of the kingdom of God will prepare you to conquer the world. 
And the reason why trajectory is very, very important is because if we start with a gospel of salvation as our foundation, then the gospel and everything to do with God is about us and us only. And that's another gospel. It's not the gospel Jesus came to preach. And so we could intend to go from A to B, but we could actually miss B because we're off by a degree. The gospel Jesus Christ came to preach is about a gospel of the kingdom. It's a gospel of power. It's a gospel of authority. It's about a gospel where the sons of God take dominion again on the earth and they become the head and not the tail, not just for self-benefit, but so that the kingdom of God and the message of God can be advanced throughout the earth and more and more people can be rescued uh, from a world that is perishing and going to hell. You see, I'm excited to be a preacher of the gospel of the kingdom of God. I love preaching about salvation, but salvation is only one small portion of what the gospel of the kingdom of God is all about. And because we preached only the gospel of salvation, we have churches that have become very self-centered and they're centered on meeting our needs when our concept should be God will meet our needs as we live for him and meet his needs and the needs of the community and the people around us. Can I get an agreement? See, the the gospel of the kingdom goes more than just the forgiving of our sins and we get a free ticket to bypass hell and to go straight to heaven. The gospel of the kingdom of God is about taking the earth and punching the enemy in the mouth and stepping on his head and teaching others how to take their victory in Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven is about kingdom principles and learning to live them. You see... In the gospel of salvation, we try to do things right so it doesn't mess up our salvation. But in the gospel of the kingdom of God, we want to live by the principles of God's kingdom so that we can bring the earth back into divine order and bring people's life back to the place where God had originally designed them to be. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad you told me to keep preaching because I'm almost done. (laughs) So what's the point of all this? The point is, what's your trajectory? Is all of this your salvation so that you can live a better life? There is no question. That's on God's agenda That's why he said, you take care of my stuff, I'll take care of your stuff. He does want you to have a better life. Just like as a dad, I want all of my kids to have a great life. But if the focus is off even one degree, we will miss the intended target. And so Jesus was setting the target I'm about to, over the next few weeks, present to you a team of pastors 
that have been rising up in this church and we're going to start acknowledging some of these men and women in a more official capacity. And I wrote a description and a protocol for the pastors. We had a meeting a couple of weeks ago on a Monday night. And uh, like we do for every department in this church, at the very top we say, well, what's the win? What's the goal? How do you know you won? What does winning look like? What's the win for each department? And as the senior pastor here at Grace and Faith, I wrote the win. To love and to live passionately for God and his kingdom and to inspire others to do the same. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 to 39, Jesus said, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. Not always your typical Sunday morning material, but it's the Word of God. You see, sin happened because Adam and Eve got the things of God out of divine order. And whenever you get anything out of divine order, you're going to have another order, and it's called disorder. Confusion doesn't come out of divine order. Confusion comes out of disorder. And when we get life out of God's divine order, we'll end up in disorder, and disorder is always the bed of confusion and despair. And so Lucifer, his whole intent in the garden was to get man out of God's divine order, and he succeeded in doing that. And every preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his goal should be to bring people back into divine order. That's why I preach principles. What are the principles of God? Because when we align our lives with the principles of God, they will bring us back into divine order. You've been sold a bill of goods that says if Jesus lives in your heart and you ask him into your heart, everything's going to be wonderful. No, if Jesus is in your heart and you build on the word of God, then you start to build according to divine order and everything will be wonderful. Sorry, I got to preach the truth. You see, Jesus says here, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Why? He doesn't respect family values. He doesn't respect the authority in the family. Hey, God's the one who said, honor your mother and your father because with it will come a blessing, I promise, long life and a good life. God's all about family. Without a question, God is all about family. But even family can't take the place of God. God has a divine order, and it's God first. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. See, he didn't say this stuff in private. He didn't say this stuff in secret. You, you see, today the goal has become church growth. I think we're off about five degrees. The goal of the church has become church growth, not the kingdom of God. 
Because if the kingdom of God was our priority, we would focus on the things that are pivotal to the king. But when church growth is our priority and that's our trajectory, that is what we're aiming for, then we will do the things that will sustain church growth. And sometimes the things that sustain church growth don't line up with the practices of Jesus Christ. You see, this next passage we're about to read isn't something Jesus said in private to his disciples. He called the crowd to himself along with his disciples. Can I make the clarification? The disciples aren't just the twelve. The disciples are anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is preaching to the crowd and to his followers and to the crowd at large. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Wow. In church growth, we learn what to say in public and what not to say in public. We learn how to endear the crowds and draw the crowds and not to (laughs) disperse the crowds. I didn't go to that school. Not because I'm against church growth. We're enlarging the parking lot so that there's more parking for people because you can't grow a congregation larger than you have facilities to park people. We're in America. In a third world country, they'll walk two hours to get to church, but we're in America. So I'm not against growing a church. But I went to the college where the truth of God was more important than anything else. It's more important than crowds, and it's more important than followings. It's more important than being recognized as one of the hundred top fastest growing churches. And again, I'm not against that. Please don't misunderstand me. I want to win as many souls for the kingdom of God. So I'm in a race. But it's to shrink hell and to enlarge heaven. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And nor am I saying that mega churches are wrong. Not at all. I pray to God that we will be mega in prayer. I pray to God that we will be mega in fasting. I pray to God that we will be mega in disciples who attend. I have no problem with numbers. I have problems with what is our trajectory. What is our goal? Where are we aiming to go? And so in Mark 8, 34 to 38, Jesus says, unless you're willing to take up your cross, can I tell you this? It is no effort to put on a gold chain with a cool-looking cross. It is very inconvenient to the flesh to take up your cross. Huge difference. You see, we think of a cross in context with our, our world. A cross is a piece of jewelry. Is that a cross? Okay, I'm not trying to be rude or anything. Uh, but it's a piece of jewelry in our world. And in our context, it's a symbol for Christianity. But Jesus didn't say it to our world, and he didn't say it to people living in our context. Can we be honest enough to really look at what the Scripture is talking about? 
Because in the context that Jesus said this, the cross was only one thing. It was a means of execution. It was one of the most gruesome forms of execution. And so when Jesus said, unless you're willing to take up your cross, he wasn't talking about jewelry, and he surely wasn't talking about an icon that would represent Christianity. When Jesus used the metaphor of taking up your cross, he, and he said it, unless you're willing to die to self. You see, convenience is one of those liquid enemies that can be warm and nice to sit in. But it could rob you from your real intentions and your real goal. We can get so comfortable in convenience that we miss the subject who is Jesus Christ. It's getting quiet. But I'm not going to change tack. Let's go to the next verse, Mark, uh, Matt. It's not enough that Mark, uh, well, Jesus goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for this gospel will save it. Here's that same principle. Put, seek first the kingdom of God and all this other stuff. I'll take care of it. I'll do it for you. And here's the same principle. Why? It's written from the same God. And he's saying, if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, I got your back. You'll get your life and a whole lot more as well. Let's go to the next verse. That was Mark. Let's go to the next passage in Luke chapter 9. Luke, one of the disciples, had this conversation burning in his head. And he repeats it for us. And he's writing what Jesus said. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. <laughs> we try to make church so convenient because we know people don't like going to the cross. We like going to the cross to ask God for our next blessing. We like going to the cross to ask Jesus to forgive us of our last mess up. But we don't like going to the cross when we're the ones who have to be nailed to the cross. Convenience can often be the greatest enemy of God. And while God says he'll bless us, isn't it interesting that with the people of the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt, they had been slaves for 400 years. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you wells you didn't dig. I'm going to give you vineyards. I'm going to give you hills filled with iron ore. I'm going to give you stuff that will produce. I'm going to give you stuff that will make you rich. I'm going to give you stuff that will make you great. But when I've given it to you, don't forget, it was me who gave it to you. And don't forget me. Amen. See, God is never against the blessing and he's never against the convenience. But he is against what the spirit of convenience can convert us into. And that's why Jesus preached sacrifice. 
Because the spirit of sacrifice will keep the church on a sharp edge. The spirit of sacrifice will keep the fire in the house of God. The spirit of sacrifice will raise up sons and daughters that are like the firstborn of many brethren who burn within his heart with a zeal for his father's house. You see, the spirit of sacrifice will put to death the spirit of convenience that makes us carnal and self-centered. And so you can't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without preaching also the gospel that includes unless a person's willing to take up their cross and die to themselves. You see, at the very point where we'll deny the Word of God, that's where the enemy will enter and take over the Word of God. In other words, if we're not willing to die to self, the enemy will come in and help us live in slavitude to self and to Him. Wow, that was powerful. Come on, stand with me. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, He gave up His best. Does He want the best for us? Absolutely. But the principle that we have to convert our logical minds to is that in this world, if you want the best, you have to beat the best. But in the kingdom of God, if you want the best, you crucify self and live for the one who's King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we live for Him, He will live with us, in us, and He will live through us. We have conveniently conveyed a gospel that, come on, come to church and try to live within certain parameters and it'll all be good. The Bible preaches a message that says, you are the church. And I want you, the church, to be the thing that the gates of hell can't prevail against. And if the gates of hell aren't going to be able to prevail against us who are meant to be the church. That means that we at times deliberately go right up to the gates and challenge every force that is behind those gates. We challenge the reason of hell. We challenge the mission of hell. We challenge the purpose of hell without fear, without second guessing, without thinking, oh, what will become of me? If God is for us, then who can stand against us? If it's Christ in us, all of hell will melt in fear the day they did when Jesus Christ entered the belly of earth. 
If the gates of hell are meant to not prevail against the church and you as an individual are the church of Jesus Christ, then it's not about us just living our lives for ourselves. It's about going through earth and conquering. It's about living this life declaring Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's about putting yourself in second place and even sometimes third place so that God can accomplish His goals. I am persuaded that nothing will ever pull me out of the hands of God because God loves me, He'll keep me. But you and I are the only ones who can choose. Will we be in God's hands? I don't want you to go to church. I want you to be the church. I want us to gather like this, but it doesn't end at 12 o'clock. Well, we know it doesn't end at 12 o'clock. It continues on Monday where you work and where you are. And on Tuesday, as you get your girls around you, in the house and you talk with them and Wednesday as you pick up the phone and you call family and you call friends come on guys America needs something better than what America's been getting and they need a church that's on fire with Jesus Christ and don't get fooled with the smut of American politics, that this government or that government's going to be your answer. No, the government that's going to be our answer is the government that's on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. How about we become a church that starts to live passionately for God and passionately for the kingdom of God I think the reason why there are so many problems in the church is because we built it on the wrong foundation when we build the church on the foundation of Jesus Christ inconvenience isn't an issue anymore because Jesus is worth it the cross isn't an issue anymore because being on the cross is being where Jesus was. I go to be where he was willing to be so I can be where he is. Amen. Father, Start with me. And the things that I saw and learned from my parents' example, God, intensify them in me. Change all my thoughts and all my thinking. And help me never to live for the applause of men, 
but for the applause of heaven. Dad, I pray that you will move me back to your compass and help me to live for, out of your zeal with your purpose. Do it in me, and I ask, do it in us. We want to be your church, not a building, not the name of a, an organization. We want to be your sons and daughters who fight for what's right and lay down their lives for what's right. We want to be your sons and daughters who can trust that you've got our future and our back better than we can have our own back. We want to be the church that stands up and says, greater is he that is in us than what is governing the world. We want to be the church that knows their God and does mighty exploits. We want to be the church that goes beyond Sunday morning and occasional meetings here and there. We want to be the church that makes an echo from heaven to earth. Hallelujah. We want to be a church that leaves a footprint from heaven everywhere we go. We want to be a church that causes the enemy to shudder in absolute violent anger. Because we will not be stopped in the name of Jesus Christ. The one who has redeemed us and set the example. Father, I pray... As you start to lead us, continue to lead us and lead us. And as I make the changes you've put on my heart to change, I pray, Holy Spirit, let the fire of heaven get into the bellies of the men of earth. Let the fires of heaven get into the hearts of the women. I pray, Holy Ghost, <laughs> take over this place. God, have your will and have your way. And I don't care if it looks pretty or not. God, have your way. And help us to live for the King of Kings. Help us to fight for what's right in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to reprioritize in Jesus' name. And if you're in, you say amen. 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 As we close, Jesus said, you must be born again. That's not a grace and faith thing. That's not a Protestant thing. That's not a charismatic church thing I've had people tell me well I'm not a born again Christian I'm a Christian <laughs> we were born into the first Adam and it made us a mess Jesus said you must be born again because we have to be born into the last Adam I don't care if you're Catholic, Episcopalian. I don't care if you're Greek Orthodox. I don't care if you're Pentecostal. I don't care if you're me. We must be born again into Jesus Christ. And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, then right now, before we close, raise your hand and say, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to ask Jesus Christ into my heart. Come on.
right across this auditorium, if you've not asked Christ in your life, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. This is the best thing you could do. If I'm talking to a house filled with born-again Christians, then right now, if you want to live for God like never before, raise both hands. Come on, church. Hell hates this. Do you know that? Demons would hate this message. They don't want preachers preaching like this. They don't want preachers resetting people's moral compasses. They don't want people making declarations like you're making with both hands raised to heaven. They don't want people setting the, 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 the gyroscope of their lives to live passionately for the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, unless you're willing to take up your cross and die for me, you'll never live for me. But when we are willing to die for him, all of heaven surrounds us and all of heaven will overpower our enemies. Can I get an agreement? And Father, have your way in all of us and convict us and change us to be more and more in line with you and your word. And everyone said, Amen. Do it in me. Do it in me. Amen. 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 Turn around. Give us several people a hug. Give them a high five. And let the Word of God continue to challenge you so that we move more and more into the image of what His church really looks like.